Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates for all your insurance needs, the Phoenix Tube Company, the law firm of Declator Cohen and DePrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and General Needs Charity, serving our homeless veterans with dignity. And now, here are your hosts, Mark and AJ. Joining us now is a man who has been a sports reporter for over 30 years in the New York City area for such outlets as ABC Radio, ESPN New York 98.7, and the and WFAN Radio. He's covered the New York Mets since 1984, reported on the Super Bowl and the World Series, as well as the NBA and Stanley Cup Finals. He's also covered national and international events like the Olympics, the NCAA Men's Basketball Tournament, the Masters, the Indianapolis 500, and a plethora of college football throughout the country. He is the author of the great book, Press Box Revolution. It is a pleasure to welcome back not only one of the most respected guys in the field, but one of the nicest, our good friend Rich Catino to Sports Talk New York. Welcome back, Rich. Hey, Mark. How are you doing tonight? Always good to be on with you. We're doing great. And, you know, AJ and I were talking, and we really wanted to talk a little bit about Ed Engels. Uh, this past week, we lost a broadcast legend here in the New York metro area, Ed Engels. For those of you watching on the Sportscaster app or streaming audio out of the New York market, Engels was a former New York sports director for WCBS Radio. He was also an analyst on the NFL and college basketball games, covered golf, tennis, horse racing, auto racing, several Olympics, much like Rich. Uh, considered a strong reporter, dynamics storyteller. He spent 24 years at WCBS, often as the morning sports anchor. He trained many future sportscasters there, expanded his teaching right here at Hofstra, sending dozens of broadcasters, producers, directors, engineers into the broadcasting field. That also included his son, Kevin, who has uh, since passed away, um, who was a producer at ESPN, and his daughter, Diana, an associate director at CBS. Uh, Can you share with us what Ed Engels meant to you, as well as the broadcast industry? You know, it's really funny because this past week, um, two guys left, you know, the world that meant a lot to me for different reasons in the broadcasting medium. One, of course, is Ed Ingalls, you just mentioned, and the other was James Lipton, the host of Inside the Actors Studio. And as you know, I was very involved with Bravo over the years, and James Lipton made that a great network. In a very similar fashion, Ed Ingalls made sports reporting what it is today. And and I remember being a kid, waking up for that 15 after and 45 after. If I didn't see the end of the Met game or the Nick game or the Ranger game or the Yankee game the night before, they were on the West Coast, he would make me feel like in that 30 seconds of a sports cast that I was there, whether the Mets were in Chase Stadium or whether they were in Dodger Stadium or whether they were in Japan. And... The other thing that he did, I think, better than most, and um, hopefully as I get older in my life, I could become a little bit more like him, he shared so much of what he knew with others. And, you know, we live in a world, Mark, right now where knowledge is power, and people sometimes feel sharing knowledge means subtracting or dividing their power. And Ed never felt that way. Um, And the last time I spoke to Ed was last summer when I was going through all my health issues, and We laughed and joked a little bit, and he basically said to me, Rich, you're better than this. You're tougher than this. That C word can't get you. I know it won't. And I'll never forget that conversation because it kind of helped me through everything that was going on in my life. And the other thing about Ed was he always had time for everybody. And I think that one of the things that I noticed from Ed Ingalls from early on in 
I covered the Mets in, you know, 84, right when they were becoming that mid-80s team that won a world championship two years later. Ed Ingalls treated Doc Gooden the same as he treated the clubhouse guy. He treated the guy that, you know, checked our press pass just like he would treat Dallas Strawberry. And I learned a lot about that, and that class and status didn't mean a lot to Ed, but bringing a human being meant a lot to him. And I think that's not... Um, the type of person you find in every street corner. It really isn't Mark. You know, it's interesting you mentioned that because uh, my follow-up question to that, and as you were talking about the way Ed went about his business, uh, I don't know if you saw the um, film about Mr. Rogers and Fred Rogers and the way Fred Rogers went about out of his way to remember things about people that he met. He would meet people. He was generally interested in those people. He would file those things away. And he, he, he generally, it wasn't, like it wasn't a salesman shtick. It was he was generally interested, and, and you mentioned you know about the the knowledge being power today, and, and you and I see there, there's definitely different types of people that sit in the different press boxes where we go, and so my question is the way the industry is today. Do you think there'll be another Ed Engels type ever again in this industry in that next generation? I sure hope so. Um, and I hope it, and, and I don't mean this in a, in a cursory way, kissing your butt or anything like that, Mark, but there's a lot of things you do that remind me a lot of that in, in terms of how you treat people, in terms of how you bring people into the inner circle. Um, and sometimes it's not even talking about sports. Sometimes you're just talking about life. The best way I can describe Ed Ingalls, and you remind me so much of him in this way, Mark, that when Ed Ingalls said, how are you, he really wanted to know. It wasn't a perfunctory, how are you, fine, how are you, and then he kept walking down the hallway. He really wanted to know how you were, how your career was going, how your life was going, how your children were, how life was. You know, my dad was ill, always asked me about my dad. And it just learned a lot from that, that, you know, a lot of times when people say, how are you, a simple thing like that, they're saying it so everyone else in the room could hear them say to someone, how are you? Ed Ingalls really wanted to know, how are you? And, and I really mean this with my heart, Mark. I sense that in you every time that I see you. So I do have hope that there will be people that will pass their knowledge on this business as we go forward. I have to say that's one of the, in all the years of doing, just even to be mentioned in the same sentence as Ed Ingalls, I, I really appreciate that, Rich, and that's, you blew me away there. But, you know, you, you, you talk, though, about Ed Ingalls and place him in his place in history. It was at a time when the people who did those updates, when, when there were people in New York, you really knew, you know, you think of all the people at Len Berman, you think of, you know, Barval, but you think all the people who did those reports and how important they were because you couldn't get instant news, right. and they were like coming into your home, and Ed Engels and there weren't 400 had, cable stations right, either. Right. right. Ed Engels had that, you know, the identification, the voice. You heard him, as, as Rich said, you wake up in the morning. Win Elliott. Win Elliott. Win Elliott, yeah. Right. Uh, Warner Wolf to some extent. Right. You know, these are people that, that we don't see that anymore. And you're right. People there, I think, because he always gave the impression he was a journalist. Not somebody in it. Journalist his, first. Journalist right. first. Not in it to get his name out there or him. He was there to tell the story. And that really is what's important. I think I will remember about him, whether he's doing play-by-play commentary or the sports updates on 
WCBS. Yeah. Uh, definitely a voice that we will surely miss. Now, I, I made light of this when we came back after the break, but trust me, I, I'm very impressed by this. So, so speaking of the media, 15 minutes from now, actually nine minutes from now, broadcast history is going to be made during the NBC uh, Sports Network broadcast of the St. Louis Blues versus Chicago Blackhawks game. Rutgers alum Catherine Tappan will be accompanied by studio analyst and three-time Canadian Olympic gold medalist Jen Botero. Uh, Kate Scott will do the play-by-play. U.S. gold medalist Kendall Coyne Schofield and A.J. Malesko will provide game analysis. Behind the scenes, director Lisa Selzer and producers Caitlin Yurker and um, Renee Hatfeld will make sure the show runs smoothly. So having written the book uh, on the Press Box Revolution, where does tonight rank and how big is it for the industry? It's huge. And I say that because... As you know, and I guess I'm spouting my age here, 59, when I say this, but I've been around for the beginning of it when it wasn't easy for people like Claire Smith, when it wasn't easy for people like Susan Waldman, just being in a clubhouse, just being in a locker room. And I think this is great stuff. And, and, and I'm a really big believer in, Mark, you know, we've talked about a lot of things beyond sports when we see each other in the press box. I'm a big believer in that diversity makes life better in this country. I think it's what separates the United States from every country in the world. That diversity, even if you don't agree with people that are in the other group, so to speak, you can always learn from them, despite the guy in the White House doesn't believe that right now, but that's another story for another day. But my point of the whole thing is, when women came in the locker room, there were a lot of men, and I was there in the beginning, that said, oh my God, they're invading our turf. And, and my reaction to it was, you guys don't really understand this is creating diversity in how sports is reported. This is a good thing. It's great for fans. It's great for everyone involved. And we saw the things that they had to go through. We saw what Lisa Olsen had to go through. You know, we saw what, you know, tons of reporters had to go through, women that, you know, had to really prove that they were reporters, much like Jackie Robinson had to do as a ball player, as an African-American. And I think tonight having an all-female contingent in a sporting event, I think is a huge thing, and it's a great thing for our business. And I think that, you know, the world we live in, and the country more specifically we live in, and maybe even Congress and the White House, can look at something like this and say, you know what, this is what this country is about. It's about creating opportunities for every demographic group, making sure that you could reach whatever you want to reach in this world if you work hard enough. And I think it's a great moment for sportscasting, but I also think it's a great historic moment for our country tonight. That's how big a thing I think think this is here tonight. It's interesting because it comes on the heel of Thursday night's Ranger game, which um, was the the Pride Night at Madison Square Garden and uh, the If You you Can Play initiative, and tonight being Women's Night, celebrating women. And I think it's a great idea and it's a great celebration, but is it a game-changer if it's just a one-off, like you know, I get the way they they've structured this that it's completely women, director, producer, you know, in-game, play-by-play. But if it's only a one-off to say, oh, look what we did, and doesn't continue, it's almost it's almost taking a step backwards, like saying, yeah, we gave you a day, now be quiet. But but you know, let's let's jump in. This is not in a vacuum. This is not the only instance of the whole production crew. Yes. Yes. But you look at women doing play-by-play. ESPN right. has more women doing play-by-play of men's sports, not just 
you know, pigeonholed into women's right. sports. You see an evolution here. Now, this carries it one step further. It's Women's History Month. I understand exactly what they're doing. But this is not, you know, unique. That's the only time we've seen a growth in that. And it's a good thing to see it happening. But I'm just worried if this is just a one-off, that, like they assembled this but entire but, but, but staff. But I'm saying if it's not. If you look at what's going on, what's happening already. So this is, this is a next step. It carries it a few degrees higher. Uh, but we've seen an evolution really only in the past three or four years. For we've sure, seen a lot right. more of this. Right. And I think it's, it's evolving naturally, and that's a good thing. Especially because we've broken that mold where they're only on the sideline. The sideline yeah. reporters are now making it up to the booth for sure. Right, right. That's yeah. what I'm saying. It's a, who's is Doris? Who does the Doris Burke? Doris Burke. Yeah. You know, Doris Burke. Right. The, the and, and listen, the, the the pioneer, another one of those pioneers that really goes unmentioned is Linda Cohn here from ESPN yeah. and mm-hmm. her her great work. But also, I mean, you're of the same age as I am, and AJ's a little older. But we remember when it was basically the only two women. Well, maybe three. It was Leslie Visser, right? Yeah. There was Phyllis George. And then there was, um, she was also in, in the movies, uh, Body and Soul, Pam something. Uh, I forgot her. But there Pam, three, Pam Greer? No, it wasn't no. Pam Greer. She was a different actress. It was uh, another woman yeah. who also um, did, I think she followed Phyllis George. Yeah. Um, and that was it, basically. There were three women, yeah. that was it. But now you're right. On every network, yeah. every single sport, there's women. So it, hats and, off and, to NBC and, for doing this tonight, though, for sure. Um, and, and let's not forget Robin Roberts. Robin Roberts yes, as well. Which, yes. You know, you're not going to find a better person in our industry if you go up and down every press box in the world. And what Robin's done, not only for women, but for all broadcasters. You brought up Linda Cohen. I think that's another great one. And I'll tell you, I cover a lot of Jet games. And I love spending time with Kim Jones. She knows the NFL inside and out. And I always feel like when I have breakfast with her on a Sunday morning, you know, when I'm covering a Jet game, I, I say, my God, I think I know more about football now than I did before the <laughs> breakfast. And I just think that they have not only helped aspiring women journalists, but they have helped journalists, period, understand that, you know, one of the things I've found out in the last 12 months of everything that's going through in my life is that People are going to take dreams of yours and try to put a pin in them. And we always then have to go tell these people, well, no, no, this is what I really want to do in my life, blah, 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 blah. And I have I found out through the last 12 months that that just is a big waste of time. It's, it's taking you away from what you're supposed to be doing. And I think that when you see women like what they're doing tonight, when you see women like Susan Walden, when you see women like... Lisa Olson, when you see women like Robin Roberts, they energize you for whatever dream you're following. And I think that, to me, is the biggest benefit from what these women have brought, not only to our industry, but to people in general, that that chasing dreams is not only okay, it's an absolute necessity in life. And I think they're, they've illustrated why that is and how, if you keep at it, you can get to the finish line. Very well said, Rich. We're speaking with Rich Catino of ESPN Radio. Um, something that no um, no one could have foreseen with sports coverage and the way it impacts a reporter's job, obviously, is the coronavirus. We, we kind of made light of it, you know, yeah. talking amongst ourselves and, and during the Open, and obviously it's nothing to make light of. Um, last night's Ranger game, the locker room was closed to the media for the first time that I've ever recalled, other than, you know, maybe one game of John Tortorella for their play. He didn't want the team speaking to the media. Uh, the players were sent out to podiums the way they do in the playoffs. What effect does this have on a reporter's job? And also the way information is now brought out because AJ and I were talking and, and saying like based on the locker room you know I might go to Ryan Strom on a particular game just to get his take on a, a you know what a certain play was 
However, if, if the public relations department is now dictating which players, and, and in some sense they do, they, they kind of give you dribs and drabs of guys in the locker room, but now they're totally controlling the narrative of which players to send out and who gets the question. And, and if you have three guys at a podium, you're, you're very less likely to ask that follow-up question because you know there's everyone else well, in the room it, waiting. It also limits the ability of somebody to get an exclusive. Right. So to, so talk, talk to that, Rich, what this, you know, something that we never dreamed of when the season started, how this is going to impact the remainder of the NHL season and very possibly the Major League Baseball schedule and, and basketball as well. Well, and I think the NBA and MLB will follow suit. Maybe not quickly, but at some point in the next few weeks they will follow suit. I think it changes the tactic, but I, I think it also changes the economics of newspapers and radio stations and websites. Now, let's think about this for a minute. Let's say MLB says tomorrow locker rooms will be closed, everything could be done in, 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 in a session like a press conference session, which, of course, will be broadcast on TV for the, on the post-game shows of, you know, here locally, Best in Y and Yes, and Nesson, and every sports station that covers baseball, including ESPN. The newspaper guys are going to, the old newspapers are going to sit there and say, well, why do we even need beat reporters at games? They could do it from their living room. They're not going to get anything in the living room. They're not going to miss anything in the living room because they're only going to get the press conference setting. Why send it? And now this could allow us to really lessen our staff, to lower our budgets, and it may make our newspaper more affordable. Now, I'm just being the devil's advocate here. Let's say a reporter says to their newspaper, you know, I really need to be out there some at the games to cover these things. Then the newspaper editor might say, okay, then we'll make you an independent contract. You can pay for your own travel, and you have to form your own business to be a beat reporter. I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility of happening. Okay, that's one. Two is, I think, what you're going to have to do is, in these interview settings, we see it sometimes, and Mark Eubel will meet City Field, where the manager comes up for the interview setting, answers his questions, and as the manager's walking from there to the clubhouse, some writers follow him. I know I've done it with but, Terry Collins. I did it with Mickey Calloway. I did it with Art Howe. Of course, with Art Howe, he never gave me an answer, but <laughs> that's another story for another day. But I think that... It's going to change the whole dynamic of it. Now, will you have the ability to get a player when he comes out, finishes batting practice, and sit with him in the dugout? It's not the clubhouse. I think it's going to be a free-for-all. I think there's a lot that has to be looked at with this, both on the end of the business, the economics of the business in general, and also the day-to-day of what a beat reporter has to do at a ballpark. Here's the potentially long-term scary thing. So let's assume... This is, because this really is, this is just because people don't know what to do and how to react with the coronavirus. They're worried about being spread. They're worrying about their investment, all their players getting sick. And, and, and I don't blame them. The That's don't blame a huge them. investment. So, okay, so let's assume, we agree, we understand why they're doing this. We don't necessarily, we understand the ramifications, but don't disagree with them. So we understand why they're doing it. But let's look at having done it. What is the peril of them not going back? You know, the virus gets under control. They figure out vaccines. They know how to, how to handle it and isolate people and, and cure them quickly. And information is still getting out to and, the and, media. And, and what, 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 is the, what is the chance that having done this, they're going to roll back to the old days and say, you know, we, we were fine with this. And, you know, how will the media, what strength will the media have to put up a fight if they do that? Rich, do you think they're going to try and do that long term? Or do you think I'm just 
being too much of a... Uh, no, I you know, think you hit the nail on the head. Because I think at that point, then who knows what would have evolved between now and then. Maybe because people aren't in the clubhouse, maybe the players get their own Twitter accounts. And maybe they talk directly to fans after a game. Like the president. Without the use of the media. And who knows if then those players can get those Twitter feeds sponsored by somebody. So there's a tremendous amount, I think, once it leaves, it's going to be very hard for it to come back. Now, what I think the, the Baseball Writers Association and many of the networks should do is they should say, this is a simply put, they should say, you know what we'll do? Anybody that applies for a season credential for any sport will have to be tested for the coronavirus. But how often? I mean, that's, you well, know, you, 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 you have you, to do it at the start of every season. I don't know you, enough you about the virus. You have to do it start every week or every, every Yeah, every game. once they travel in an airport, you know, they can pick yeah. it up as well. I, I, Let, it's let's, tough. Let's look at the other side of the coronavirus. The other things happening to not just, you know, the, the press room. In Europe. Press box. Talk about in Europe. Let's the, talk what's going on in Europe. Let's talk about the fact that Johns Hopkins was hosting Division Three basketball championship this week. And they banned mm-hmm. fans from the games on the advice of Johns Hopkins Medical Center. Uh, in Europe, they're playing games in empty stadiums. And just televising them. And just televising them. Do you see, it, we've got the basket and NCAA tournament coming up, we've got the league championship tournaments coming up this week in men's basketball, with the NCAA coming up in a couple of weeks. What do you see happen? Do you see a possibility? And is that a peril of not having fans at any of the games? Boy, that's a great question. Um, I honestly don't see that happening in the United States. Um, I just think, you know, if CBS has the rights to the NCAA men's basketball tournament <laughs> and all of a sudden they're going to be playing in front of empty crowds, does that affect, does that make the TV product even more valuable than it would be if people were in the crowd? Or does it make it less? And I don't know what, what the answer to that is. But I do know, too, that, you know, teams fight in the playoffs. In the NBA, let's take the NBA, for example. Teams are fighting in the playoffs for home court advantage. They're not doing it because they know, you know, where the, where the men's room is in the home facility. They're doing it because the fans can help them win. So now, all of a sudden, you're, not fight, you're fighting for something that you're not even going to get at the end of the year, home court advantage. I think it opens up a lot of can of worms. Um, I don't see that happening in this country. Um, I know it's happening elsewhere. I don't see it happening in the NCAA tournament. Um, I hope I'm right on that because the fans and the noise and the just the drama of being in an event with fans, a big event like that, it would just be different. And I, I don't, I certainly don't think it'll be better. And I think it'd probably be a worse experience on TV not seeing. Can you imagine watching the Super Bowl when we're watching it on TV yeah. with nobody in the stands? Yeah, I, I also nobody agree. cheering the national anthem, nobody applauding, nobody booing. Um, it's un-American <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. And listen, the safety of people is the most important thing. There's no question about yeah. that. But I do think that you have to kind of think about the ramifications of how much of the culture of this country we live in. Is because of sports yeah. and the economics. It teaches well. us things like well, how to accept defeat. It teaches us how to know how great winning is. You can't do it without teammates. It's something you could share with others. 
And if you take fans out of the stands, a lot of that goes away. I heard an interesting point on the radio before about someone speaking to the, the fear of, of shutting down all of the arenas, but, but still having people go out for dinner, going out to yeah, the movie that's... theater, going out to all those things, so how it could affect the economy. And it's interesting that the media is, is hyping up this fear, and then it could be affecting the, the people who work within the media. It's kind of a uh, scary well, you, you know, you see, one thing, whether you, you can take two ways at the Knicks... What game? The last game. Well, that's a good thing if no one shows up when they three, came. <laughs> they had three thousand empty seats, most empty seats they've had in like twenty years. Now they're saying it's because of the coronavirus. No, people say, "Oh no, it's because of the Spike Lee thing." I actually think it's because of the coronavirus. Yeah. Rich, do you see happening? Do you see fewer and fewer crowds as this goes on? What do you What do you make of the Knicks having three thousand empty seats? And is that something we're going to see just getting more and more and more, not at the Knicks, but uh, not just at the Knicks, but other arenas around but, the country? And let me even take it a step further. This is something I noticed. Uh, I might have mentioned it to you, is before every Ranger game, when I come in, yeah. when we go to the fifth floor to go for you dinner. You don't the players' entry, the, the employees' no, entry, do you? Right. No. But underneath the opposing team, the players <laughs> normally, to warm up, they play soccer. They all take a yeah. soccer ball and they're kneeing it in a circle. Yeah. All right, the last two games, I've not seen that. And I'm sure because I, I, I'm almost positive it's because of Corona. If these guys are working up a sweat and kicking a soccer ball to one another. Ball gets wet. Ball, ball gets, gets wet. Yeah. And, and then if they miss it, then they run and they pick it up and they throw it to the next guy. I'm sure that the, the team probably sent a letter and no. said, that's got to stop. So it's in, there, there are little tiny nuances that you're starting to notice, and it's definitely Corona-related. So, so speak to that, Rich, what, what AJ just asked as well. Well, I, I think it's true, and, and I think that, you know, a simple thing like the spring training. The biggest part for spring training for fans, they can go there and interact with players that they normally wouldn't be able to interact with during the regular season. I saw on the Met broadcast today, David Wright signing balls, taking a ball out of someone's hand that that, that person held, taking a pen that that person had, signing the autograph, and then David Wright giving it back in the ball into the fan's hand and giving the pen back to the fan. At what point are we going to say we can't do any of this because well, they're doing David it already. works for the Mets? Already. The he can contract something cards. and bring it into the clubhouse. Yeah. Right. So I'm just and, and and I don't want to get overly political about this, but this is a terrible virus, and I don't want to minimize it in any way. I mean, especially I live in Westchester County. That seems to be the county that it's proliferating the most right now in New York. Uh, we're having, we're having gotta go, Rich. studio tonight. <laughs> gotta go, Rich, but... <laughs> <laughs> but, but, I, but I do want to also say this, that the panic that it could strike in society could be even worse than the virus itself. So we have to be careful that we... I'll tell you, in my office Friday, I, I had very few people who come into the office, and I was told, well... They're probably not here because of the coronavirus stuff. So I think regular companies, forget about sports, I think regular companies are going to have to figure out the answer to this. Maybe the answer is sometimes people can work off-site. If they feel terrible about this, you can arm them with a laptop at home and they could do their work from home. I think it's going to affect a lot of things in society. And what may end up happening is things could change even after this virus is figured out and we get a way of battling it the right way, companies might say, well, maybe it's better if I have people work from home. I'll give them the laptop. I don't have to pay for the overhead of, a, of an office. I don't have to pay for the rent. I don't have to pay for the heat. We'll just have everyone work from home. I'm not saying that could work for every company, every type of company, but certainly can't work for a hospital. But 
I think that there are things in this corona thing on how we're dealing with it that are going to leave us in the world doing it that way. And we got to be very careful not to do it just for the sake of ease and money after the coronavirus is, is cured and figured out. And hopefully that'll be real soon. But in the interim, I totally get what the NHL is doing. I totally get what the leagues are doing. And as a reporter, I think you have to work better. And I said this to one of my friends today at ESPN, and I said, he goes, Rich, what are you going to do if you can't get in the clubhouse? I said, well, to be honest with you, I'll go to those press conference settings, but this is where i got to use phone numbers of players that I have. Right. And call Michael Conforto on the phone and call Brandon Nimmo on the phone and call Peter Lonzo on the phone if I can't get to them in the press conference setting. And in a lot of ways, that's old school. That's the way it was in the olden days when not everyone had access to every player at every point at every time, and it wasn't a media scrum, and that's it in the locker room. So I think reporters are going to have to do a better job of making sure they have connections with players that they can get to them when they can't see them. And I think that's going to be interesting to see how that manifests itself. Absolutely. Rich, before we let you go, um, just want to end on this one. I loved your tweet from the other day. Uh, the tweet, in case uh, people don't follow you, uh, said this. Looked at the calendar today, and in exactly 19 days, I begin my 37th consecutive year covering the Mets. Yes, that's a long time, but it also energizes me so much. It's like putting fresh plasma in my body every spring. I really feel like uh, a very lucky man. Obviously, each of those 36 previous seasons all had varying levels of expectations. What are your expectations for this season in the New York Mets? Well, you know, I think from a pitching staff position, they have very good rotation. They have a deep rotation, deeper than it was last year. The bullpen, a lot's going to depend on Batantis coming back from his injuries and performing at his level. I think the offense is fine, but I look at this team and I say to myself, I look at this roster and I say, I think you got the best starting pitcher in baseball. I think you might have the best power hitter in baseball. And I think in Jeff McNeil, you might have a legitimate batting champion in your lineup. Now, the rest of the pieces have to all fit in. I think there's some complementary pieces there that have to do better. you got a brand-new manager, so hopefully that's not too much on-the-job training for, for the Mets. But I look at the NL East very simply put. Aside from the Marlins, every team in that division could say, I'm winning this division have a legitimate claim to it. I still think the Braves have the best overall roster in the NL East, but I think the Mets are two. I think the Nationals are three, and I think the Phillies are four. But I look at the Mets as a playoff caliber team that will be in it to the end of the season, and to get that wild card, it's going to be tough. I do think the Braves will win the NL East, but I do think the Mets will take one of the two wild cards. So that's the aspirations I have for a Mets team that I think is better than it was last year. And sometimes we forget the Mets almost improved double-digit wins in the standings last year from mid-70s to mid-80s. Sometimes that mid-80s to 90-win jump is a tougher jump than mid-70s to mid-80s. But I do think the depth of the pitching staff, the chances being added to the bullpen, and the rest of the team progressing at the level that it's progressing at, makes me think the Mets are one of the top four, five, six teams in the National League, which means they'll be a playoff contender, and I think they'll be a wild-card team come the end of the season. Awesome, Richie. I hope to see you at the next Ranger game. If not, definitely on opening day. Always a pleasure speaking to you. Glad you're feeling great, and uh, thanks so much for joining us tonight. 
Mark, great to talk to you guys. Keep the great work. And just so Mets fans out there know, this show is an absolute must-listen every Sunday night. You guys do a great job of wrapping up the week and setting up the week as well as anyone does in the business, and you guys are an absolute must-listen. So I'll continue listening, and I'm sure the world will as well. You got it, Richie. Be good. Rich Catino, ESPN Radio. Like I said, not only one of the most respected, Mm -hmm. but one of the most liked uh, guys in the industry. 